It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Coming up on episode number 61 of Sports Day Plus. At 6.45, where are we at in society? I weigh in on 16 supposed food trends for modern dining. Keep your dogs at home, please. At 6.15, it is the first of my weekly two-segment chat with Justin Wells of Inside Texas. And in mere minutes, Longhorn Hoops drops another one at home. I am your host, Trey Elling. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Courtesy Wave. And do the same for ESPN Austin at 1027 ESPN. Well, a very perplexing Longhorn men's basketball season continued last night with the sixth and final straight matchup against a ranked Big 12 foe. This, the number 14 Iowa State Cyclones coming to town. Coming to the Moody Center, which we can all agree, or at least those of us who have been to a game over the last couple of seasons, gives the Longhorns a legitimate home court advantage. Despite that, Texas has now fallen to 1-4 in conference play at the Moody Center, and I believe they have the most road wins in the conference right now. So, so much for home court advantage after Iowa State wins 70 to 65 in what was a very down and up affair for the Longhorns before ultimately dipping back down once again. What do I mean by that? Well, Iowa State got up early and were seemingly cruising to a victory at halftime last night. Iowa State plays some of the most stifling defense in the conference and that was on display. And it had the Texas offense completely confused throughout much of the first half. Iowa State led 36-19 to at halftime. With the Longhorns shooting 30% from the field while also going 0-7 for 7 from three-point land in the first half. Things did change in the second half, though, for Texas. They shot better than 50% in the second half. Three of seven from three-point land. And they also took a lot more free throws, too. and Were really good at the charity stripe. 15 of 16 from the charity stripe. And a lot of that was the result of Dylan DeSue putting on an absolute display offensively. Dylan DeSue nearly single-handedly brought this Texas basketball team back on offense But it was a team effort on defense with the Longhorns really buckling down defensively and doing to Iowa State what it did to Texas in the first half. But ultimately, despite getting 28 from Dylan DeSue, 10 rebounds to go with, 3 of 6 from 3-point land, 10 of 19 field goals, 5 of 5 from the charity stripe, Max Acemas, he was off last night. And actually... If you go back to that TCU game, he was off before the last three and a half minutes of that game. Had another cold night. 0 of 5 from three-point land, 3 of 11 from the field. He has 13 points because he gets to the charity stripe seven times, makes all seven of those. But he and Dylan Mitchell, the only other Longhorns to crack double digits in scoring. Dylan Mitchell finished with 10 and 5. 
Kendall Weaver, man, that guy plays hard. I think he plays a little bit too fast when the ball is in his hands, but he gave you a solid five points, seven boards, four personal fouls to go with, had a block. Not sure what's up with Tyrese Hunter right now. He had a goose egg in last night's game. That's right, zero points. 0 of 8 from the field. 0 for 3 from three-point land. He did have seven assists, so that's nice. Three turnovers. But he also was really struggling defensively, unfortunately. You saw that offense, or the lack of offense, affect his defensive prowess at points late in the game. They gave Iowa State either easy looks at threes or... In one case, forced Dylan DeSue to come over to help out with Tyrese's guy and allowed the Iowa State player a wide-open dunk when the game was tight within the last, I want to say, minute and a half or so. So this Texas team has finished that 6-6 six and six stretch right at 500, 3-3. Three and three. Had a chance to go 4-2, and two. didn't happen, that's okay. Life goes on, time to move on. You move on to West Virginia this weekend. Remember, West Virginia beat Texas in Morgantown, but the Mountaineers are not very good right now. So Texas has a chance to avenge that early conference play loss at the Moody Center on Saturday, and it's an important game. not going to call it a must-win game because you could lose this game theoretically and still be one of several ranked opponents on the road, highly ranked opponents on the road too, by the way, and it neutralizes a lost West Virginia, but you need to win the most winnable games left on your schedule. As a matter of fact, Texas' home schedule is littered with winnable games. The home games are West Virginia, Kansas State. Yeah, they did just beat Kansas, but Kansas State is middle of the pack this year, and Oklahoma State, which is at the very bottom of the conference standings this year, and then also Oklahoma, who they themselves will be looking to avenge a loss to the Longhorns in Norman just a couple weeks ago. Oklahoma, the one ranked opponent amongst those four. Your road games, though, at Houston, at Kansas, at Texas Tech, and at Baylor. They are spread out with the exception of Kansas and Texas Tech being back-to-back on a Saturday and a Tuesday. But West Virginia is very important to get yourself refocused and get ready to go because after that West Virginia game, and I don't know why this is, I feel like this isn't a normal part of the Big 12 basketball schedule. Maybe I'm wrong about that, though. They have a week off before their next game. That next game, by the way, at Houston. It is a nationally televised game, too, in terms of it being on network television. That's a CBS broadcast at noon on Saturday, February 17th. So to have a short memory is going to serve this team well to get ready to go for West Virginia because you do have a huge matchup after that with Houston in a week. I just need to say this about the Texas basketball team before we move on. We'll be joined by Justin Wells of Inside Texas for a couple of segments after this one. Over the last couple of games, we've seen this Texas basketball team win or get close to winning based on heroic efforts being made by individuals on the offensive end. That is not sustainable. That is not how you win games consistently. You win games from team efforts on both sides of the ball, certainly, but getting more contributions on the offensive side of the ball. It can't just be Dylan DeSue and Max Asmus every game. 
Sometimes those guys are going to be off, like what happened with Aismas last night. You need somebody to step up into that third scorer role. For most of the season, I thought that should be Tyrese Hunter, especially if you allow him to operate more with the ball in his hands on offense, like what he did as a freshman at Iowa State. But based on where he is right now, he seems completely lost. And I just don't know what that answer is in terms of that third score. Again, it can be a cast of characters that are stepping into that role game to game. But there needs to always at least be somebody. It could be a Dylan Mitchell. It could be a Kendall Weaver, maybe. Heck, it could be an IT Horton. Supposedly one of the reasons why he's here right now is because of his scoring ability. And yes, it could be Tyrese Hunter, too. Rock Cunningham, it's nice to see him get that confidence back. He earned more minutes last night, which I think is partially the result of this team just being thin depth-wise. They don't have a ton of dudes they can turn to. So Brock is playing more minutes as a result. Caden Shedrick could potentially be one of those guys too. But he's very up and down. You just don't know where his back is right now. Lower back issues aren't things that tend to just go away once they flare up like what happened with Shedrick a few weeks ago, midway through the season. Usually an off-season of strength and conditioning and mobility training that helps get you there. But we'll find out in a couple of days just where this Texas basketball team is mentally. All right, coming up, it is my weekly two-segment chat with my buddy Justin Wells of Inside Texas, InsideTexas.com, and the Inside Texas YouTube channel. It's National Signing Day, too, but you wouldn't know by the Lack of big news. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellen. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellen. It is a Wednesday right around 6.15. Means it's time for my weekly two-segment chat with Justin Wells of Inside Texas. InsideTexas.com. The Inside Texas YouTube channel. You can give him a follow on Twitter at JustinWells2424. And you hear him on this show, Wednesdays, usually for a couple of segments. Justin, always a pleasure. How you doing this week? Hey, now, uh, you know, trying to make it through February. Um, we've been on the road at Inside Texas here lately, hitting schools, covering recruiting. And, uh, you know, we're just, just trying to get through this February so we can we can really get into March and spring ball and, and some more, vi- you know, more uh, recruiting visits now that it's the dead period. And so... Man, we're just trying to make – I'm just trying to make it to Valentine's Day, my man. <laughs> Where did you visit most recently? I was in Carthage, Texas yesterday. I went to see a couple uh, – three handful of uh, recruiting targets over there, and I call it Title Town. I mean, the dude's got eight uh, state championships. That's high head coach Scott Surratt. And to, to give you an idea of how important it is to win his ninth ch- uh, state championship, he never answers the phone – until the ninth ring. Wow. That is commitment right there. Yeah. Yeah. KJ Edwards, 2026, four-star running back. Looks like a million bucks. Plays like it too. Texas squarely on the radar. Jet Surratt, 2026 quarterback. Smart leader. Insanely accurate. It's got a little bit of Drew Brees to him. I can't wait to see how he does, uh, you know, in his second year at starter. And then I met the future linebacker in the state of Texas for 2026, Dequivius Beck, six foot two, about 200 pounds, size 13 shoe, runs a four six, and can almost tie his shoes without bending over. Oh my goodness. 
So you put a lot of miles on your car driving around, visit, visiting recruits all over the state. You go outside of the borders at times as well. Are you typically listening to music? You listening to podcasts? Or are you just going with your, your own thoughts? How are you passing the time with all the hours that you spend on the road? That's a great question, Trey. Um, honestly, usually it's music okay. because I'm a big music guy anyway. And a lot of times that can dictate my mood. And so usually it's it, it's music. I don't do a lot of podcasts. I don't listen to a lot of talk radio uh, just for whatever reason. I used to like ESPN radio with Colin Cowherd and Eric Casilius and those guys, Scott Ben Pelt. But I, it's really fallen off. So I don't really have a lot of interest in that. But I'll tell you what, sometimes depending on what's happened in, happening in life, sometimes I turn everything off. And sometimes that's my best opportunity to process thoughts, to, to, to say my prayers, to really dive deep into, into the spirit and, and try to, you know, figure out answers, try to connect with God, try to, you know, get my mind right. But majority of the time, I, I have over 4,000 songs on my, on my phone and uh, I, I'm listening to music on a religious basis. High achievers tend to always be, asking themselves at least one big question or there's one question that tends to consume their thoughts. You're a high achiever. Is there a question that is on your mind right now more than the others? Yeah. Yeah. Every day I ask in some form or fashion, am I doing enough? Every day I ask, am I missing something? We push and we push and we, we, we try to get the best information every single day, seven days a week, you know, 365 a year. There's no vacations in this job. And so most of the time, even when even when I'm highly productive or not highly productive, I'm asking myself, did I do enough? Did I ask the right questions? Did I get the right information? Did I make that person that I'm interviewing feel the most comfortable? And I'll give you an example. Yesterday. I went and met DeQuavius Beck for the first time. He had never done an interview before. This kid's almost 16 years old, going to be a junior uh, next season. And so he'd never done an interview. And I know he's best friends with Texas target KJ Edwards. So when Coach Surratt was asking me who I wanted to come in and out uh, to interview, I said, bring me, K bring me DeQuavius, but bring KJ with him. And he said, you want to do them together? And I said, yeah. I said, KJ's used to this. Him and I have been talking for well over a year. So he's used to this. I said, but DeQuivius has never interviewed before. And I felt like if KJ was there, he'd feel more comfortable and he'd open up more. And so I'm always asking myself, how can I ask questions better? How can I get better insight? How can I make the players and coaches feel more comfortable? That way I can build the best possible relationship in possible and that I can get do the job in my in my opinion the best possible way you know that is great insight for the overall process and I think also who you are as a person and how you are constantly looking out for others too we take it for granted when we see these interviews with these 16 17 18 year old kids that they just need to comfortably be able to talk about these things because you are asking specifically about them but a lot of times this is a brand new process or they could have social anxieties that they're having to overcome in answering these questions and helping the uh, the feeding frenzy of the masses who need that nonstop recruiting intel. So kudos to you on that one. Yeah, I mean, it's it, that's just life, man. That's how you that's how you build relationships. That's how you get close to people. That's how I thank God. That's why he put us here. 
it's we, we need to love each other. We're all in his image. You know, we're all brothers and sisters and and we got to do the very best we can. And it's funny because like with Dequivius, he does not like talking about himself mm. at all. He does not like that. And he's got a humility and modesty about him that I find very endearing. And you, you can read the, ne- the the new story I posted last night at InsideTexas.com. You know, I, I love that about him because it's usually one way or the other. They're either really quiet and don't really want to talk about themselves or they are very excited and really want to talk about themselves. I, I try to find that happy medium with a lot of these guys, but but usually it's one extreme or the other when they're sophomore, freshmen or sophomores. And by the time they're seniors, the, the higher up prospects are a little more polished. And I try to explain to the younger guys, I said, look, this is something, if, if this is your future, if you see yourself being an athlete in college and potentially in the pros, this is where you hone your craft. This is where you put the basis for how you're going to react because the media is a part of the sports, you know, stratosphere. It's it's always been there and it's always going to be there, especially with social media. Now, I I feel like it's ramped up a hundred times. And so I I try to explain to them the better you do here, the easier it's going to be when you get older. And I give them, you know, when I get close to these guys, you know, they'll, they'll say, you know, what should I say? And I was like, well, you know, just be honest, just, just open up. I said, but you need to know your cliches. Okay. Hmm. You know, stuff like, I'm just happy to be here <laughs> and I, I can't wait to contribute to the program. And I'm just one guy in, in the team aspect, or, you know, I, I can't, you know, I'm taking it one day at a time and I'm trying to be the best me I can today and that, and not look too forward, not to not look ahead too much. You know, I've got a little grouping of, of cliches that I'll give the guys if they, if I felt like, they're having a difficult time or they're, they're stuttering through it or they're, they're looking for the things to say. I'll, I'll always give them these cliches to say, look, these are what you need to work on. Now, the more you open up depends on the interviewer. If you trust them, if you're more vulnerable, you know, that, that that's between you and that interviewer. But as long as you've got these cliches, you're always going to be covered. And I felt like for the most part, they're very receptive to that. You're like Kevin Costner's Crash Davis on the recruiting trail, trying to help all these nuclelouches along. That's exactly that's exactly where I got it. That's exactly what it is, and and I think there is not a better comparison right now than than that's what I'm doing. It, you know, Costner did it, and he wasn't wrong. You know, Nuke got to the show, and and what was the first interview he did? He threw out the cliches, and I know it sounds funny. I know it sounds like I'm almost joking, but. It really is true. These guys need need to prepare because if they're going to college, they're going to be in front. If they're going to play at Texas, they're going to have a media availability. Some will have many, and you need to be prepared for this kind of stuff. And you can tell the guys that have done it for a few years, and you can definitely tell the ones that haven't. Yeah, and just thinking back a couple of years, uh, Moroy Jomo tried to be brutally honest and tried to inspire his football team, and he got into uh, – a world of hurt, unfortunately, as a result. And I don't know if he was given a complete media blackout after that, but uh, knowing how to toe that line and not be too honest, as much as I appreciate that honesty, to try and be as generic as possible keeps you from having to deal with any additional distractions or headaches as you need to be the most focused on the task at hand that has to do with performing your job on the football field too. Yeah, and Moro's a great example because... Moro was a guy who had the best of intentions. You have to understand, Moro is a great 
kid, an outstanding person. Uh, he had the best of intentions, but some of that was too much. Some of that ne- needed to be kept in the locker room, need to be kept, you know, within the, the team camaraderie and the group. And and he had to learn the hard way, you know, and, and he did get a media blackout. I don't think he spoke to the media again. Now, granted, we've seen media blackouts with other players. Uh, I'll never forget Jeff Swain, former tight end at Texas, and, and they brought him out for an availability. And, you know, it was the first time we had seen him. And I thought, OK, you know, he's one of their better players at that time. I believe it was in the Charlie Strong era. And, you know, he started speaking his mind and cussing because that's who Jeff Swain is. <laughs> you know, he was one of those locker room enforcer type guys that was had very little BS to his life. He was a very straightforward guy. And I, I loved it. I, at the same time, I thought, well, this is going to be the last time we see him for an availability, so we better get as much as we can. But, you know, Morrow meant the best. I think every kid means 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 it in the best way. They want to be a great teammate. They want to be respected in the locker room. You just have to find that happy balance of of, of, of telling some truth, you know, giving giving some, some, some great answers and insight, but also also protect your guys, protect your boys protect the coaches and and i always tell them less is more unless i'm interviewing you love that he is justin wells of inside texas InsideTexas.com, the inside texas youtube channel you can follow him on twitter at justin wells 2424 and hear him on this show on wednesdays for a couple of segments coming up our second segment with justin will include yeah it is actually national signing day two what is the future of national signing day two Plus, we'll get into more Longhorns-related and Super Bowl-related as well here on Sports Day Plus on 1027 ESPN. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Back with Justin Wells of Inside Texas, InsideTexas.com, the Inside Texas YouTube channel. Follow him on Twitter at JustinWells2424 and hear him on this show for a couple of segments, usually on Wednesdays starting at about 6.15. Justin, we're halfway through this conversation, and now is really my first mention to you of National Signing Day 2. Used to be just National Signing Day that first Wednesday of February, but National Signing Day 1 has rendered this day next to useless with a couple of exceptions. Texas isn't doing anything this year in terms of adding guys to their top five recruiting class. Let's start here with National Signing Day 2. I feel like National Signing Day 2 may gain relevance once again, but only if you choose to move National Signing Day 1 to earlier in the previous year. So what do you think about the idea that has been talked about by plenty of folks at this point about moving National Signing Day 1 to the preseason, maybe late July or early August, giving those high school athletes a first chance to sign that letter of intent with their future school? You know, I I don't think there's a perfect answer. And, and, I, and I feel like it's the NCAA's job to figure that out. But any time, any ideal that, you know, signing before you play your senior season, I think is dangerous, very dangerous, because you're literally trying to lock in a 17, 18-year-old for, for about six months before he gets to choose his school. And then you always have coaching changes that usually start in, in, in November. And you always have guys moving around and decommitting and, 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 and things of that sort. And if they sign too early, I think there would be so much buyer's remorse because I don't necessarily think kids always know 
before their senior year where they want to go. Now, now there's a trend where they're, they're committing by, you know, after those June official visits, really high in July, really high in August, but they're not signing. They're just attaching themselves to that school, grabbing a spot and hoping they play well their senior year and, and it ju- and, and, and it gets becomes justified. Anything before their senior year to me is too much too soon. I'm not a fan of it in late December because one, it's right smack in the middle of a lot of state championship games with a lot of high schools around the country. And so you're infringing there. And then I think this last year, it was what, three or four days before Christmas. Coaches can't even go Christmas shopping because they have to worry about a signing class in the early signing period. And I just think it's taxing on the coaches. I think it's too much. That's why there needs to be so much regulation when it comes to this. I personally miss that first February. You know, I woke up this morning and I thought, hey, it's National Signing Day. And then I checked my notes. 80% of Texas 2024 cycle is already in the football program. (laughs) So this day is basically wasted. Now, you see value in it only in schools that had transition classes where there were new coaching changes. You also see a lot of movement on schools almost at a lower FCS level, a Texas State, a UTEP, a UTSA, very active on that second signing day. And then like with other schools like Mike Elko going to College Station, Texas A&M had a big signing day with, with a lot of guys. And so when you lose a coach, the second signing day is basically help us shore up this first signing class here and we'll do it in February since we basically they were hired in December or in some cases January and they had about a month to put all this stuff together. It's crammed a lot of the time. I don't think there's a perfect answer. I don't know when the best time to do it is. I do miss that early February eagerness, that Christmas morning type feeling. We do get a lot of that in the first signing period with early December, especially with Steve Sarkeesian in in Texas, because he is literally looking for early enrollee, self-motivated, self-focused, self-driven individuals. That's the MO of the culture of that program. And so if you can get guys, if you can sign 23 guys in mid-December and 19 of them are going to be enrolled within a month, to me, that's maximizing that window there. That's Sark in Texas fully embracing what they're dealing with in the moment. But that question, you and I go through this every every cycle, I feel like, and I just don't think there's a perfect answer. I don't think there's a perfect date. I think it's just something where they're trying to figure it out. They're trying to make it better. In some cases, that we, we see improvements. In some cases, I think they make it worse. But the last thing we need to do is have a signing period before these kids ever play a senior snap because you are really betting on a guy that may not even be close to growing to his potential or to who he's going to be. Your thoughts make a lot of sense. And in really adding on to Steve Sarkeesian doing it right, I feel like if you're doing it right in this day and age, it's very low on that drama that we used to be so accustomed to on the original signing day in early February. I don't remember the last time that there was heavy drama for Texas. And I know that they've gotten guys on signing day. They got guys uh, this most recent national signing day one later in the game, flipping an A&M recruit amongst other things. But do you have a favorite piece of signing day drama from signing days past? Oh, wow. That's a loaded question, (laughs) man. I think Eric Nolene, my co-pilot at Inside Texas and I are going to write a book one day. We just want to make sure the kids have all cleared out of college, (laughs) cleared out of the NFL, and then we can start telling some of these juicy stories. 
Is there a way to tell one of those stories without giving up names or schools? I'll give you one, and and and, and we 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 deemed it Malikmas, <laughs> and it was the big recruitment of five star linebacker out of Mesquite Potique for the class of twenty fifteen, Malik Jefferson, and you know there wasn't a lot of drama because uh, Eric had absolutely 100% coverage on that recruitment. I was close with the family as well. And so we were there, but I'll never forget, uh, you know, Eric had come over to the house because Malik had called him and said, look, I've made my decision. And this was before he was going to announce, obviously Malik was going to tell us where he was going and we were going to have quotes and, and have the story ready and all that fun stuff. And as he was walking out, one of the writers from Texags had showed up to do the other interview because it came down essentially to Texas and Texas A&M. Someone was making a late push. I think they had just gotten uh, Chavis or they were about to sign Chavis as a defensive coordinator. So there was a lot of movement, but I'll never forget Eric calling me on his way out and, and you know, telling me, you know, as I walked out, Texags was walking in <laughs> and Eric just had this giant smile on his face. And he's like, I don't think they know what's about to come. Because there was a sense that A&M had this momentum going to the SEC, that Kevin Sumlin was this like dynamic recruiter, but in the end, it, it didn't come out that took that way. He, he he obviously signed with Texas and, and brought DeAndre McNeil, a teammate, with him. But it was it was funny because it was so much drama built up to that last two or three days because Malik waited till I mean damn near signing day. To, to make the call, but it was Eric's expression, you know, when Texags was walking in and he's like, man, I couldn't tell the guy, you're not going to like this interview. <laughs> I couldn't <laughs> tell the guy, this isn't going to go the way you think it's going to go because, you know, we had to keep our bond and keep our trust with Malik and his family. And so um, that's one quick, that's one quick story. I'll give you another one. Same class, same cycle. Chris Boyd, a former corner, a four-star corner out of, out of Gilmer, a uh, place for the Houston Texans, been in the NFL for five years now. You know, he did the same with me. He called me a couple days before he committed, let me know everything that was happening, how he's going to do it. And he decided he was going to drive to Austin and announce it as he got there. And then he decided he wanted to do it on a television show. He wanted to do it on the local news channel. So we're scrambling to try to find someone that can facilitate him and also, he had a teammate, Houston Lamar, four-star corner, Holton Hill, who uh, who wanted to, to, to sign with Texas as well. And I'll never forget, Chris gets to the studio, and he's wearing this shirt that looked like from the catalog of the Arizona Southwest branding company. <laughs> and, and, and knowing Chris, you know, Chris Chris has a, his own fashion sense. But it was it was him scrambling to try to find a news station because he wanted to make it big. He wanted to do it big. He wanted to drive to Austin and commit there at the school and and all that fun stuff. And and so, I mean, there's so many of these I could get into. And, and if anybody wants to come to InsideTexas.com and ask us, we're more than happy to, to, to tell you more stories about it. But as for drama, it you know, it's just it, there's so many things I would have to think about and pick through because those were good endings. And then you had the drama on the bad endings mm. with Walker Little, the offensive lineman out of Bel Air Episcopal that that was all Texas, gave Texas a silent a full year before he he signed, and then leading right up to it, decided Stanford was going to be the move. And and I know that the Tom Herman and those guys had put a lot of stock into him. They I believe they had just gotten the job, and they had put a lot of stock into Walker. 
and, and they were expecting it to be Texas. And when they went over there and found out it was Stanford, that that flipped quickly. And Texas fans on the member board, members board were very upset that they just lost a five-star uh, left tackle that had been a two-year Texas lean, even longer. He'd built a great relationship with Matt Maddox, who was the former O-line coach. And, and that just didn't come to fruition. And I'll never forget being in a movie theater. I was at the movies. We knew Walker was going to go to Stanford. It went public and my fl- my phone exploded. And I couldn't even enjoy my movie because of all the people asking questions, clamoring for what happened here and what happened there. And at the end of the day, you know, Walker made the best decision for him and his family and had an unbelievable family. His, his, his mom, Sarah, is a wonderful lady, great family. He's playing for the Jacksonville Jaguars right now. I believe he's the starting right tackle or left tackle uh, for, for Trevor Lawrence. You know, he's gone on to a great career in the NFL. But I'll never forget the buildup to, to that recruitment leading into to signing day because that kid was a solid two-year Texas lean, a silent commit. And then all of a sudden, it's Stanford. There's always two sides to the drama. There's always something funny that happens, whether it's Landon Collins committing to Alabama from, L- you know, being a Louisiana guy and his mama standing up and leaving the the, the platform because she was pissed off. Uh, th- there's so many things in that regard. Uh, you know, we could be on the air for the next two hours talking about this. No doubt. But we are at the end of our allotted time. He is Justin Wells, Inside Texas, InsideTexas.com, the Inside Texas YouTube channel. Justin Wells, 2424 on Twitter. And he joins this radio show for a couple of segments, usually on Wednesdays to talk about it all. Justin, always a pleasure, man. Thank you so much for the time today. Man, Trey, nothing but love. Coming up and where are we at in society? I weigh in on 16 supposed food trends for modern dining. Keep your stinking dogs at home, please. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. Final segment of today's show. Before I get to where we at in society, I need to let you know about my friends at Pest Wranglers. Pest Wranglers, Pest Wranglers. That's right. The best in Central Texas at taking care of those pest problems in or around your home or place of business. My friend Steve started Pest Wranglers back in 2006, and he did so with a couple of things in mind. One is to be effective, reliable, and affordable. The other thing is make sure to take care of you, the customer. Customer service matters a lot to Pest Wranglers. It's why they have so many five-star ratings and reviews on Google, Yelp, and elsewhere. Steve values people. He values relationships. He knows how to treat his employees. In turn, his employees know how to treat you, the customer. They have no contracts. That's how confident they are in that customer service, as well as the service that they provide for you. If you're unhappy with that service, you can cancel at any time. But they know the opposite will most likely happen. They offer pests, mosquito, and rodent control and exclusion, inspections for residential and commercial properties, and pool service for folks in Round Rock and Pflugerville. For more info or to request a quote, get Go to PestWranglers.com. You can also give them a call at 512-670-7808. That's 670-7808. PestWranglers and PestWranglers.com. It is the final segment of tonight's show, which means it's time for... Where are we at in society today? 
That's right. It is your regular look at stories that show we as a people are headed in the wrong direction. Very occasionally, I will bring you a story that provides a sense of optimism that has us all saying to ourselves, hey, maybe we as a people are starting to figure something out. But sadly, today is not that day. And we go to the UK Guardian for the first story for today's Where Are We At in Society. About 16 rules of modern dining. If you listen to this show with any regularity, you know that I am a big fan of food. Despite the fact that I take pretty good care of myself, I can't help it. I'm a former fat kid. Those fat kid indulgences do still come back at times. And as a lover of food, I do also pay attention to food trends. So 16 rules for modern dining, whether or not I agree or disagree. The first rule is that certain restaurants can get away with walk-ins only, no reservations. That is totally up to the restaurant as to whether or not they want to do that. Now, if you're asking me whether I'm willing to wait in a long line for food, the answer is no. So with a lack of reservation system, you do always run the risk of people like me turning in other directions, but... If you can create the hype and keep the hype up, then it doesn't matter because for some strange reason, people love waiting in lines. It's not just with food, but especially with food. I see it all the time driving around, looking at places that have a drive through option and a dine-in option, fast food restaurants. Just think about, I don't know, Chick-fil-A, P. Terry's, In-N-Out, Line that literally wraps around the restaurant and people would rather sit in their car and wait in line versus taking half the time to park, get out of their car, walk inside and just order the food face to face. So yes, a restaurant can do the walk-in only no booking thing, but I'm not going to wait for you. And I know there are a lot of barbecue places in town that qualify as such. Now, Franklin Barbecue is a different experience, obviously. Aaron Franklin, friend of the show, joined me in conversation numerous times now, most recently to talk about his excellent new book, Franklin Smoke. That's more like a tailgating experience before a football game because the restaurant's not even open up to a certain point, and you do have to get there hours beforehand. But you post up with a cooler, maybe some lawn chairs, and you prepare properly, even still... That's too much stuff going on in the day to just take three to four hours out of a morning to wait for barbecue. There's great morning, there's great barbecue all over the city. So for tourists, that might work. For us working folk, not going to cut it. Just going to go grab a meal from, I don't know, Style Switch. If I'm looking for barbecue, sometimes there's a line there. It's not four hours long, though. Next to the 16 rules, dogs are starting to be allowed in dining rooms now. Abso-freaking-lutely not. I know, we all love dogs. You love dogs, I love dogs. Despite the tone of my voice right now, believe it or not, I do have two dogs at home, one of whom I do love some of the time. The other one is pretty darn annoying. If dogs have special needs, this is a special needs dog. Pretty sure he thinks he's a cat. But I get the affinity for dogs. They are loyal creatures. And by loyal, I mean loyal to the next hand that feeds them. But they are loyal to you right now because you're the one that feeds them with regularity. They are cute. They are cuddly. 
They are men's best friends. But we have crossed a line at some point in the recent past that we need to reestablish now. And that has to do with allowing dogs into public places where they used to not be allowed. And I get it. Some people skirt the rules by faking the whole emotional support dog bit or medical support dog bit, which is actually can be a real thing, by the way. When it's real, it's fine. When it is being exploited, no thank you. That is unacceptable. So with the exception of those medical emergency dogs, it's time to stop bringing your dog to the grocery store, to the coffee shop, and yes, to restaurants. If there is a restaurant that allows dogs on the outdoor patio, fine. But inside a restaurant is unsanitary. Unsanitary. I'm pretty sure it's a health code violation as a matter of fact. So no dogs in the dining room. How about booking deposits and charges for no-shows? There are people who sit on multiple reservations. So to try and reduce that, I am completely fine with booking deposits or charges for no-shows within a certain amount of time. You can cancel prior to 24 hours before the reservation happens. You don't get charged. Maybe even 12 hours beforehand because stuff does come up day of. But we need to figure out a way to stop people from sitting on multiple reservations at good places, screwing other diners in the process. So yes to a booking deposit or a charge. And you can choose not to pay the booking deposit or say no to the charge by not reserving at that restaurant. A cakeage charge is a part of modern dining. A caking, a cakeage charge, excuse me. A cakeage charge is a person bringing a birthday cake to the restaurant and they get charged for the cake to be cut up and plated and brought out to people with silverware. Yeah, you are bringing outside food into the restaurant. It's a special occasion. It's a birthday, but you are going to have to deal with a little bit of an upcharge. That is not a problem. You can't not bring outside food or beverage into restaurants. It's a very basic rule of thumb. How about a trend that has started up in some places that have restaurants banning phones in the dining room? Now, I... My family tends to have a general rule that we don't like phones out at the dinner table with some exceptions, but you can't tell people you don't get to take your phone out altogether. I think that actually hurts a lot of restaurants. How many times are you seeing people pulling that phone out and taking a picture and posting it to social media? It's a little bit of a hype suicide if you're a restaurant that wants people to spread the word on the good food that you're slinging. So no, I am opposed to a cell phone ban in dining rooms. A return of dress codes. Good luck. Every restaurant can make that decision for themselves. But in a town like Austin, with few exceptions, if you are very, very fine dining, then yeah, maybe there's a bit of a dress code. But otherwise, it just matters where you are. Dallas, one of the reasons that Dallas annoys me, they try so hard to be cooler than they are. And I say that as a DFW kid. There are way too many places that have dress codes where it's like, look, you're a sports bar. You're a glorified sports bar. Stop, stop telling me that I need to have close-toed shoes on or I can't wear a hat inside. So dress codes, it's up to the business, but do so at your own risk. How about restaurants that ban children under 12? I have kids who are 9 and 7 now. They are more courteous 
and have better etiquette than a lot of the adult diners that I know. So I think there's a little bit of ageism going on there. Look, I get it. There are a lot of kids who can't go into certain types of restaurants, but there are kids, and there are parents, by the way, who have been taking their kids to those sorts of places, helping them to understand how to conduct themselves in restaurants that would be unfairly left out of the process. So I guess it's the restaurant's decision if they want to do this. I am against it, though, because there are a lot of well-behaved kids who know how to conduct themselves in good restaurants. How about time-limited table sittings of 90 to 120 minutes? Completely fair. There are way too many people out there who linger at a table at a busy restaurant that maybe it doesn't take reservations or maybe it does. And you are going well over, maybe not an announced allotted time, but you understand exactly what you're doing. You can see the service staff impatiently waiting for you to clean that table and get those next guests in. Yes, time-limited table sittings, I'm all about. Should adults be allowed to eat from the children's menu? Absolutely not. Have a little bit of self-respect, adult. Don't order off the children's menu. How about a restaurant that doesn't have a website, a menu, or prices online? You're free to do that, but way to put yourself at a major disadvantage in the age of the internet. Is it okay for coffee shops that serve brunch to ban laptops on the weekends? It's your business, do what you want to, but again, I would question the viability of something like that. No salt and pepper on a table. Hey, that restaurant believes that what they're doing is going to be as good as you're going to get it. So accept that. You can always ask for salt and pepper and you will draw the ire of the service staff. We've got a few more of these, but I'm out of time, unfortunately. So you'll just have to go to theguardian.com to find out the rest. That is it for another edition of Sports Day Plus. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll be back tomorrow at 6. In the meantime, have yourselves a great rest of the evening and hook them. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling.